0: You're listening to the Sourced Property Podcast. Hi, welcome to the Sourced Property Podcast and this is me, producer Emma. You've not heard me for a while. I've been busy with other things, but I've rejoined the podcast today and we've got a newbie with us, which is Derek Pratt, who is our new commercial director. He's been with us a few months now and we've also got Stephen Moss, the Managing Director of Sourced, and they're both here talking about due diligence and what it means to kind of check through projects for investors. So over to you, Steve.
1: Thank you very much, Emma. Firstly, I want to understand how Derek's managed to get away with uh, not doing a podcast and beer for three months. So that yeah. doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> he's done well there avoiding that because usually you're dragged into something day one. So.
2: Well done, Derek. I consider that a success. Absolutely. Do you,
0: wanna, do you introduce yourself
2: a bit more, Derek? Tell us about you. And Okay, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, my name's Derek Pratt, as uh, alluded to earlier, Commercial Director here at Source Capital. I come into this, uh, I've been way too many years in the financial sector, and the last seven of which have been working in peer to peer and alternative finance. So, joining Sourced, Uh, it's a great time for for me to join it's an exciting and interesting point of its growth story and look forward to uh, what's about to come in this podcast
1: (laughs) yeah, hold on to your hats basically Um, so yeah, so we thought we'd do a podcast sharing what we do as a business for due diligence and we're kind of hoping that it will help people when they're doing their due diligence on investment opportunities or loans or lots and lots of different types of areas so it was great to get Derek on board to talk about due diligence because I know it's an area that when since he's joined us he's kind of brought a lot to the table to add additional benefits and put additional protection in place. So let's start at the beginning so Derek when we look and we talk about due diligence typically we look at it from a point of view I suppose as a lender we look at it from due diligence on the borrower but let's start off with the project because other people on this might not be looking at it from a loan point of view they might be just be looking at some at a property. So where do you start with the due diligence on a project?
2: I suppose in peer-to-peer we've got a unique position anyway, because it's not just looking at this from a lender's viewpoint. We have, you know, if the deal's going to work, it's going to work for the lender as in the investor but it's also going to work for the borrower and we've got to be able to put a structure together that that basically suits everyone so the the starting position for me on any project is this a deal that that is going to suit all parties can we actually put a secured loan together that represents a good investment for our investor lenders so starting point for me ordinarily who is the borrower? What are we being asked to consider? What is their experience? Is that appropriate? Have they got the ability to basically take this scheme, this proposal from start to finish within the anticipated time period, within the cost allowances that we've got in that loan and to remain compliant with all regulations and deliver a quality product for any development, any scheme, that is the basic outline of, of what I'm looking for. The keys. I say alongside the experience are those those issues of time and cost quality compliance they're the key key drivers on any deal if we can do that get the security position right then it should work for both borrowers and lenders that's where we're at you know is it the right product is it the right location have we got a definitive exit and you know if it's if we can do something where it's it gets repaid, the borrower is successful, profitable, the lenders get the money back, return their interest, then we as a peer-to-peer lender have done our job properly.
0: How about for like those borrowers that are new to, to lending or new to developing? Do source capital uh, lend to those types of people? And if so, do they need to bring something else to the table to kind of make sure they tick that box?
2: Great question. The advantage that we have as Source Capital is that we're able to look at each deal on its individual merits. So, yes, you know, and, and I'm mindful that I just mentioned earlier regarding the client's experience. So, they might not have a massive amount of experience, but they might be bringing to us a scheme that, you know, it, it's it's a great scheme. So if they take this out to the wider world, who have got a tick sheet mentality as to what is and what isn't allowable, and they've got policies and guidelines that say you have to have X years of experience or you have to have X number of projects behind you, they're never going to get a chance to get that experience or those number of projects behind them. At Source Capital, we can and we will look to help those potential clients. So short answer to your question is yes we can help them longer answer to the question is we will look to to help them through that scheme if they need guidance or assistance that you know we'll help wherever we can but we'll also introduce them to the wider professional network as that's needed but yeah it's a great question and we're delighted to help people
1: in terms of taking it a bit more sort of granular, and you know let's look at it we, we're a uni model as you said we, we've got a franchise network which so is a little bit different but let's look at it from a franchisee's view so a franchisee finds a property you know let's talk about what would you what would you expect the due diligence or, or the sort of checklist of due diligence points that they would go through on that particular property or project so that people can understand what you're looking at from a bank point of view or a lender point of view, you a know, platform point of view, what, what are they expected to check? Because let's be honest, what you check when it comes in is really what they should be checking. you can't kind of double checking, aren't you, really?
2: And you're absolutely right. Yes, we are. It would be unusual for us to be looking for something that they shouldn't have already have considered because all I'm interested in is their ability to deliver that scheme from start to finish and have a successful exit. If that works, it means that it's been a good scheme for them, the borrower. So there shouldn't be anything weird or wonderful that, that comes out of of our assessment. Another advantage, clearly, within that source model is before it even comes near source capital, the franchisee will have had the the chance and will have no doubt gone into great detail with the you know their connections within the network to assess whether that works for them. First and foremost, is it going to give them the, the right level of return based on their investment? Is it a scheme that, that fits within their capabilities with regards to available time? You know, All the, the, the wider issues is to, is it the right scheme for that individual borrower? We'll all be looked at from the franchise. By the time it comes across to us... You know, we are. We Yes, and I mentioned it. It's how do we get into the granular detail? But the granular detail will come as we go through that deal from, you know, from initial application through to delivery. But key issues, you know, is it going to work for them? Have they got the capability of doing it? When we get into the costings, you know, that would be sensible for them to do that before that comes anywhere near us, rather than, you know, very generic overview of pounds per square foot, because... You know, they've got to make sure they've got the right support from the right contractor, that they've got availability. Agree that purchase price. See if there's any conditions attached to, to the sale from the vendor that, that might make this a difficult deal, either because they want a totally unrealistic completion date. Are there any planning conditions that haven't been assessed? So, yeah, there's a lot to consider, but I think this rather than going into massive detail here, the key issue is by the time that comes across to us, we will work with that borrower and talk through those issues so yes i'll you know we'll have assessed the planning we'll have gone through all that and we'll just talk it through and get to a really good starting point
1: so what would you say obviously you've seen lots and lots of applications that come through for funding it's a kind of help people that are listening to this and when they're looking at doing the due diligence on a project or you know the prepping something to go to a lender what are the typical three kind of mistakes that you say are quite consistent with people is it you know well what, what would you come across I know when we've looked at stuff in the past sometimes it can be something really small like there's an error in the calculations for the finance that, that seems to be quite common but what would you say are the three that you, you regularly come across
2: I think the first one is covers a lot of the deal but is, is perhaps a little bit over ambitious
1: so dreaming people dreaming or hoping or is it that so what you're saying is you're basically there to just destroy dreams is that
2: <laughs> that's, what they, call, new job that's what they call me Dal, the dream you know, the destroyer, dream destroyer. <laughs> no, no we're here to deliver against those dreams Steve, as well you know uh, but to stop it becoming a nightmare I'm going to keep that
1: that will be on a t-shirt um,
2: but no it, you know, if they're into development there's every chance it's not going to go Absolutely, perfectly to plan. You never actually know what's in the ground until you get in the ground. There's always a chance that you'll you'll see hiccups as you progress through the deal. If when you're assessing this at the outset, it only works if everything goes absolutely brilliantly and there's no contingencies needed, you shouldn't really be in there. You've got to make sure you've got the capability of cope with, well, just it's a bit daft really, isn't it? Same plan for the, the unexpected. But you, you really have to work on that basis. You have to have a contingency around cost. You have to have a contingency around time. So first thing, just make sure you, you, yeah, you're yeah you in the real world around everything.
1: When you say, when you say that, are you talking about... Because I think a common point on that is what resale values. Is that fair to say what people's expectations for resale values or people's expectations, <laughs> expectations for build costs or... You know, they met someone down met the pub, and they they know someone who converted some flats for twenty grand a flat, so they've applied that. Is it, is it just those? Is it those key figures you'd say? Or
2: yeah, absolutely. Give yeah. it the, the head. Yeah, you know, everyone knows the the pub builder, everyone knows the, the pub architect, everyone knows, you know, the pub lawyer. But yeah, the it will all come out as we go through due process because there'll be an independent professional val, uh, valuer that will, you know, give an assessment. But from my point of view you're paying money out of your pocket by the time you've gone to a professional valuer. So we try and avoid that being wasted money. So if we're looking at it, and some of the key fundamentals, and I like know you said before, what are the three issues? But yeah, all right, let's keep it simple. Cost, time, um, quality. You know, what is your ability to to hit all of those those figures? If they just look a bit too stretchy and they look unrealistic, we don't really want something, someone paying money out of the pocket to get a valuer to say what we already thought yeah you know some things easy with the benefit of hindsight but you know if someone's wasting money with the benefit of foresight that's that just doesn't feel right to us yeah. you know I'd send out that borrower with the next project rather than one that you know where we might be walking into a bit of a cul-de-sac
1: yeah absolutely I think it's, it's definitely a good point and I've come across borrowers as well where they're really persistent on look, I know this area really well and you know you you do try and guide them i suppose ultimately to where you expect it to be and i suppose as well talking from a a due due diligence point of view you know the to put it out there for anybody who's new in the sector or anything there are alternatives aren't there so you you could you know rather than spending two three four thousand pound on a a survey, you could get a desktop done or you could you know there are options there available to to de-risk it in some respects because if you get that desktop done and it comes in around what you're you're hoping for then it kind of leads you
2: on to get the valuation done, doesn't it? Yeah, we're in a good time, aren't we? You can you can go onto certain websites and they'll give you full details of everything that's being sold in that area, how much it's gone for per square foot, what the average price is for an X bedroom bungalow, an X bedroom semi, an X bedroom detached. All this information is readily available. If you're presenting a scheme where you're breaking the barriers through everything, you know this is you're going to create a whole new market, despite the fact that there's already a market for properties in that area. Yeah, there's just no point pursuing that. Yeah, I think there's there's a perception here that anyone who looks at a deal and doesn't support it just has got a good complex. That's not it. You know, and I'm not suggesting that that deals can't work, that we won't support. It's just what is the probability. And if there's a very high probability of it going wrong and that costing the borrower a significant amount of money, then do you know what? No one's going to thank us for putting them into that deal. Yeah. And what I think we're just going to be wary of that.
0: What are the other two points that you were going to make? Because just bringing you back to Steve's initial question, three points that you, you spot when doing due diligence?
2: Yeah, it was a bit of a all saying.
0: <laughs> so saying,
2: there, yeah, be realistic.
1: They're, they're in the trilogy. We've just covered. They're the all in,
0: in
2: the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But yes, where are we? Wrong scheme, wrong expectations, and you know, wrong. Well, I'll say the wrong scheme, wrong scheme for that borrower. Yes. Wrong expectations, and you know, have they actually got the financial wherewithal to cope with that particular scheme? If more money is needed to be thrown at it.
0: Yeah.
1: Is some of, is some of this driven by? I mean, we're going off a little little off the tangent from due diligence, almost because some of it is it driven by the kind of the magpie syndrome where people see bigger scheme and want to get involved in that because there's more money rather than really what we what we educate or what we we work with our franchisees to do is to start off with a project that's at their scale and then go to slightly bigger and slightly bigger and go through that journey, isn't it? Because you just by doing one house build, I mean, we've got some franchisees that we we've been doing. Marketing on recently, Everton's a great one to, to shout out because he's just done his first single house build. Yeah. And speaking to Everton, he's been in the sector for probably a year, maybe a bit more. And a
0: couple of years, yeah. A couple
1: of years. So and and he's come back to say, I've learned so much off building that one house that you know. It, and
0: he can now scale it a bit, a bit yeah, higher. It, and it, exactly, it's about yeah. walking before you run, isn't it? It's yeah. Make sure you, you
1: definitely, yeah. definitely. <laughs> In terms of due diligence as well then i suppose one question that people don't talk too much about yet it's probably one of the key areas is the exit so you know have you seen a a change in the the, the types of exits there used to be i know personally you see a lot of exits that were just sell to investors sell to investors. and that was the kind of good old days with 110 percent mortgages and you know (laughs) is there a, a change in that now a change in mindset
2: yeah unfortunately i think we're both old enough to have been around when you built it, it it sold and it probably sold well before you were anywhere near finished building it and it was easy to lend against because they were all pre-sold you took big deposits and you know it, but the world has moved on everyone knows the world's moved on if i was the borrower or the lender and again i said earlier that we both should be looking for the same same points having more than one option is probably sensible if the, your idea is to sell then great but make sure you've got enough slack in that you know you've got enough comfort in that selling price versus where you think you're going to be on exposure to make sure if the market does have a bit of a wobble or it's there's a slight deflation in there that you can take a, a lower price and still get out comfortable ideally with some profit it's not just about repaying the lender this is it's your money you're playing with your time your effort Yes of course we want to make sure we get repaid but as I said earlier the whole idea for us is that the borrower does well and the lender does well so yes we get repaid but you know the borrower has been supported in the right scheme so have have options make sure you've got scope if you're looking to keep hold and keep hold of your investment then again just just look what that would mean if you've ever got a void how do you service the loan make sure the loan is structured right don't overcommit. but there's if you're talking to lenders have got the capability of structuring a deal bespoke to someone's personal scenario and personal situation if you've got the basics right you've got the right level of income you've got the right property, you've got the right location, you've got the right price, depending on which area you're looking at it, you'll be able to get out the right side and, and be able to adapt if you need to.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say, because we, we stress tests every project, don't we? We we look at that and I think it's important for, obviously, for investors when they do their own due diligence to to look at those figures as well. I was just going to ask the question on, obviously, the, the C word, COVID have we seen any market changes? Is there any extra due diligence checks that we should be doing, in these times?
2: I think what coronavirus and the last twelve months has, have taught us is you know you've got, you've got to have that ability to to have some contingency for time because. You know, yeah. yes, we had a period last March, last April, where, where sites came to a grinding stop. We also saw issues with regards to supply. There's still issues around supply, and yeah. you know whether that's coronavirus or whether it's it's Brexit. It's just make sure that the deal. You know, I keep saying the same thing, but because unfortunately it's apt and it's appropriate and it's it's absolutely right COVID has has, has meant some deals are taking longer than we initially thought they were going to take some of them are costing a bit more than we initially thought people can't get the same number of people on site as they would have done previously Mm. you know so yes things are slowing down yes you know on supply things are taking longer to put up because of the, the manpower issues and things are costing a bit more but if all of that was taken care of in the initial level of due diligence and we had that level of contingency already built in. We look at the deals here at sourced. Yes, some of them are running longer than we first thought, but pretty much all of them are running as though they're going to be achieved within the budget. And that's that's a massive, massive positive and hopefully goes a long way of supporting why so much time is spent at the outset around that due diligence.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point. The amount of spending more time at the beginning to get everything set up and get it right. A point you were talking about, Em, in terms of the, the finances as well, so one that I come across with due diligence and that this is kind of for newer investors into developing or investing is they'll have their kind of like deal calculator set out. And obviously we've got a deal calculator. We've we've kind of fine-tuned and fine-tuned and all our franchisees use it. it so what over 150 franchisees using this, this deal calculator. So we know that it works well. And one of the questions I get asked quite a lot, and I'm going to throw it over to you, Derek, as a bit of a curveball, is... Profitability, you know, it's the amount of people that will work to, really, you know, they'll put all the figures in, they'll check everything, and then they've got a, a profit margin of nine percent, or they've got a profit margin of twenty percent. But they've heard that it's got to be thirty percent, and the question you always get thrown at you is, you know, what percentage it should have be worked to, or what's the what's the minimum I should accept? So, how do you approach that?
2: Yeah, and it's it is a big thing because you know in our world. You know, it is one of the numbers that, that you're looking at as far as return on investment. I think that there's there's two different sides to this. Number one is is the return for that investor and how that fits within their expectations. Because it's not just about percentages, it's also about timelines. You know, if people need this money back out of that scheme and they need it back quickly, then don't get lost looking at, at the pure numbers around profit. Just be mindful about your liquidity as well. So, you know, yes, you might have a good scheme here, we can make ten percent. And it might be a really good scheme, but once your money's tied up in that, your money's tied up in that. You know, does that mean you're going to lose out on the next scheme which you also had tied up, lined up as well? Because you're going to, you know, you're not going to have the funds available because you're into the other deal. But I personally, when I'm looking at the, at the deal of the assessment, you know, I might have a deal where they've got significant amounts of contribution in, I've got a great security position. But the actual return in percentages would be lower than maybe a deal I wouldn't be looking to actually support because the security position isn't great, or there's no great there's no ability from from that client's point of view to cover anything if it goes off track. So as a lender, I'm looking at yes, where's my comfort around the security, around the serviceability, around the exit, around the deliverability? And that might have a lower percentage. The other side as well is, from a percentage point of view, it's the pounds, like shillings or pence that pay the bills, not percentage yeah, exactly. points. Yeah. <laughs> so if you've got a deal that you know you've got all your costs built on the outside edge, you've got a product that you know is going to sell, if that's your exit, or you've got a product that you know is going to be readily refinanceable if you're going to be holding that as an investment asset the actual percentage points might not be as big as another deal but that might because it represents the risk and the risk you know you would expect if it's a higher risk to get a higher level of, of reward so don't get blinded by the percentage think about your liquidity think about what actually pays the bills which is the money make sure that probably build those costs in at the right level and, I, and, and to well, over I, think, deliver.
1: I think it's worth when you're looking at that when you look at the pound figure it's also considering i mean you might build in you know if something goes wrong but if something goes wrong and you're on a low percentage or low figure is that going to be what is it going to wipe it out and it, so therefore is there any point in doing this development and yep. take it on board and, and potentially move on depending on where it is so yeah okay G- gdvs is another one as well that i wanted to kind of touch on because again it's it's a really popular point that people talk about when looking at due diligence and, and more so now because of covid because of brexit because of the situation of is there going to be a market crash is, is the the world going to end on friday that sort of scenario how do you look at the gdv and how do you say yeah okay we're going to lend on something that in 12 or 18 months is going to achieve that sort of figure
2: yeah, and, and in the world of Source, that's that's an even bigger issue because we are a lender who lends against the GDV. That is our flexibility on pretty much every other part of the deal. But the one thing we, we assure our, our lender investors is that the end number will always be no, no higher than 70% of the GDV. So massive question because it underpins everything that we do at Sourced. Is there any absolute science or certainty to know what the world looks like in 80 months? No no there isn't so you've just got to have uh, you know you've got to introduce as much common sense as you can to the world we've obviously got professional valuers and they're constantly getting updates and guidance from the likes of Ricks again no exact science but these are the people that are supposedly watching this market day in day out and almost have an element of uh, of driving that market a little bit as well because they are they are putting the numbers in there but we can't account for a big crash you know yes I was around at various different crashes in the past. How many? The it? Come on, uh, true. How uh, many? I've, I've a few. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, you know, yes, we've seen we've seen recessions, we've seen crashes, we've seen different issues. Who got really stung by it? The people that were massively leveraged.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: They were the people that got absolutely well, stunned by it.
1: We were joking before about the 110% and they were one of the biggest distributors of that, weren't they? And, yeah. You know, that's where they ended up.
2: There's a lot of things that become cliches for, for good reason because they're true. There was a time where you could make money despite yourself. Now the people who came through it were the people who really concentrated on, on the basics of, of running good business, good scheme, good projects. Don't overstretch yourself because you know, we touched on it earlier. If it only works in the perfect world, you probably shouldn't be in it.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely in terms of you know changing times and we're talking a lot about how due diligence has changed and all the things to look at and the the whole idea of this podcast is really to share things that we look at and ultimately you know what we're coming across because as a business we're reviewing about 300 deals per week so you know there's a a lot goes into this I find as a developer and, and somebody who goes through credit that, that things are changing in terms of what other parts of the jigsaw are looking for. So let, let me kind of explain that. And, and you might be able to add something to this in terms of SAT calculations. So it's not something or, you know, your, your noise and, and those sort of calculations that seem now to be one of the most important things you've got to have. When we thought you didn't look at them, did you, until the end or till very close. And things seem to be changing in the development world with that.
2: You know, the one you just mentioned you know if you're not aware of it at the start you're not planning for it it's a bit unfortunate because it's the last thing you've got to pass sorry. Sorry.
1: Yeah, so it's quite a big shock for a lot of newer developments isn't it you, well if you've not developed in what the last 12 18 months maybe it's going to be a big shock because now suddenly you've got these things that have been in the background and you typically deal with them as you're going through but now everything it's been brought up front hasn't it in terms of like your noise your, the different approaches i suppose
2: yeah it, it, you know, the environmental's uh, are, are huge absolutely of course they are and not just in in construction or, or development or property it's, it's across the whole world isn't it the whole environmental thing so the point you made isn't just about that one item is it it's a much wider item you know take as much advice on as you can have those professionals that will give you a bit of guidance at the start and if you walk into these things eyes wide open from the start you know hopefully you won't get that many surprises but yeah environmental is a, a key you know it's a litigious world we live in as well so you, you know the people that are regulating this are doing so with more due diligence than probably they ever used to as well you know i don't think from a due diligence point of view as a lender the basics are still the basics. The canons of basic lending have been the same for, for a long, long time. The only thing that's changed is that people tried to do it by cutting corners and thinking that there was no way you could lose money. And unfortunately, you know, you've know, you only got to look at uh, some of the big, big names to, that, that, that struggled to find out that it's very easy to, to lose money. Lending money is easy. Getting it back, that's the tricky bit, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: But again, I think we can play our part because we can help. Those borrowers at the start, as part of our due diligence process, to work through those things with the client and make sure that, yeah, it's all part of their costings, it's all part of their their schedule of works. If we do ask for things such as, like, let's have a look at your your cash flow, your work schedule, it's not just because we like looking at numbers on a piece of paper, although clearly we do. Yeah, anyway, it's just to make sure there's no there's nothing missing in there as well, there's no yeah. glaring gaps
1: i think that's one of the key points isn't it you're there to protect them as much as the the, the people's money that you're putting in as well so absolutely
0: i think we've touched on some really kind of insightful topics and i think we could go on about them all day and i think there's some of the things that we've discussed today we could even make kind of more detailed podcasts about to summarize for an investor that's kind of new to investing in peer-to-peer platforms what kind of few Due diligence points do you think that they should focus on when doing their own due diligence?
2: Okay well from an investor's point of view when you come into the world of peer-to-peer you know you'll have access to to more detail than you probably will else you know certainly uh, than what you're used to is dealing with the traditional banks and traditional funders. We publish a credit report on each and every loan that that goes on the platform so you don't have to invest blindly this isn't you know and I think there's a lot of people within the peer-to-peer sector that get annoyed with the idea that this is Wild West lending it's anything but there's a lot of massively experienced proven lenders who say we've been doing this based on the the traditional canons of lending and we we come into this trying to protect those investors money because as we touched on before if they don't get their funds if we haven't got people invested in peer-to-peer peer-to-peer doesn't exist before they come in do the research do the research on the company do the research on the loan do the research as to what your risk is the loan to value is always published the interest rate is always published just be mindful of what what you're looking for on your return what is your risk appetite and what is your capability you know what talked to before about the, the borrower's liquidity position. The lenders need to consider that as well. Their money's in this loan for the duration if there's no secondary market. So they're tying in for a nine month deal. Make sure they've got that liquidity to put away. Make sure they understand the difference between peer-to-peer lending uh, with regards to the, the financial scheme guarantees, financial guarantee scheme, whatever we want to call that, compensation. But anyway, so make sure they understand what their risk profile is one um, of the things
1: I'd add to that as well Derek sorry to interrupt is uh, and something I found with some of our bigger investors it's not so much that they know or understand peer-to-peer but actually they're not afraid to pick the phone up and speak to one of the team you know myself yeah. Derek one of the team up there that will explain either the project or the process or the areas they should be looking at or what the questions and that's the big big difference is you know what some people are new to this but if you if you pick up the phone, people are more than happy to help and explain what the process is, how it works, what the security is, what the risks are as well it 's being completely open. I mean, if you if you go onto our website, you see all over it, your, your is at risk, because we're very open to say, look, it's an investment at the end of the day, there is potential risk, but what we will do is then explain, well, okay, this is how we de-risk the investment. Um, and this is the the potential risk with this and that's one of the nice things with peer-to-peer is that you do due diligence and I think this is one of the things that a lot of investors like on peer-to-peer is that you're investing with ourselves you're investing directly into a particular project so you can do the due diligence on that project and then invest into that project and some of our investors like that they like the fact that they can read up about it if they don't like that particular area or they don't like a particular type of development they don't have to invest into the next one and it gives it a bit more of a personalized investment rather than just putting your money into almost a fund and you don't really know where that fund's being spread into and stuff like that
0: yeah we we've talking to a couple of investors they, they get to learn about property as well i think that's a great point you made so i think that's a great pull for investors investing in in a platform like us absolutely i mean
1: we do you know the investors uh, open days where they come along Come along to see the, the opportunities, come along and see, come along and meet the project management, meet the builders, open days, we've not been able to do them as much obviously due to Covid but previous to that we expect to continue to do it and, it, and it's great to be able to take them at different stages, you know initially you, you're in a building site and in three months time come back and you start seeing big changes, to the apartment's being split or the the walls being plastered and there's so many things you can learn just by visiting and doing that but Some people, they don't have the time to do that, which is understandable, but there's a lot of people out there that have a genuine interest, and this is a great way of investing, earning commission while you're learning about property or learning about the due diligence process.
0: Earning and learning.
2: Yeah, I think the one thing I would add onto that is not just you can pick and choose which particular scheme suits your your appetite and your investment interests, even. There isn't a single scheme that, that comes that we won't have seen you know, we know the borrower. We'll have been on there. We understand the process from, from day one, but we also monitor and manage that build all the way through. So, if you're invested into a development, you know, yes, of course you can. As Steve says, you can speak to us at the start because we'll know all about that and we'll have assessed it and we'll do whatever we. But all the way through that that deal, as that progresses, you'll be kept informed. So, if there's a yeah. monitoring surveyor report that's been done or we've been on site we'll put an update out to lenders and they can see that. So you're never in there blind. This is the most transparent process. You know, I'm aware I came out of mainstream banking that this is completely different. Everything is out there for both borrowers and lenders to see.
0: On that note, I think we can kind of tidy up for the day. And if, if anyone's interested in having a look at our due diligence checklist, we've got a free download either on the website or email us at capital at source.co and we can send that over to you for you to have a look you can use it to do your own due diligence on projects as well thanks so. for
1: joining us Derek really appreciate it and answering all those questions and thanks everyone for listening look forward thank to you. the uh, next podcast cheers <laughs> <Tizzle>.
2: up <laughs> thank you for listening to the sourced property podcast